Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all. This is Robert Rogers, and I am your host on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. Parkinson's Recovery has been dedicated now for the last six wonderful years to providing information, support, and services to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease and their family and friends. And partly, we provide many different support services, one of which is the Parkinson's Recovery Summit. We've now done three summits. In 2011, the summit was held in Vancouver. In 2012, the summit was held in Cincinnati, Ohio. And just several months ago in February, the summit was held in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Twenty remarkable presenters arrived in Santa Fe in February to offer presentations about the many, many different options that are helping individuals reverse whatever symptoms they might be currently experiencing. Individuals attended this particular summit from Europe, Alaska, Hawaii, the continental United States, and across all the provinces of Canada. I was well aware when we convened this third summit that many of you would be unable to attend for one reason or another, and I had a mountain of requests to videotape the presentations. So we undertook the Herculean task of videotaping the presentations, which we in fact finally did, and contracting with a marvelous company here in Olympia, Washington, to master and edit the videos and make them available now as DVDs. We now have DVDs of 19 of those presentations, which represent a wide array and variety of options that are helping individuals reverse their symptoms. We really attracted a remarkable number of presenters and an amazing group of participants. Those DVDs are now available to all of you to purchase, and I have a wonderful invitation for you since this happens to be Memorial Day weekend. We have a special that will be offered through Memorial Day, which is Monday, And that is, if you decide you want to order any one of the DVDs or the whole package of 19 DVDs, be sure to use the following coupon code on the shopping cart. So let me give you that code, and if you're at all interested, be sure to write it down because you'll be able to get a 25% discount on the total cost of the DVDs. That particular code is the following. 2013 options. So that's 2013 OPTIONS. Where do you get the information about all the presentations that were given in February at the Santa Fe Summit? Well, go to the Summit website. And of course, you're wondering, well, how in the world do I find that? You can find all of the websites that are supported by Parkinson's Recovery by simply visiting the main website which is parkinsonsrecovery.com. And from there, on the main page, you'll see links to all of the many different websites, blogs, support services that we actually offer. 
So again, that website which you can use to link in to the summit website is www.thewordparkinsons, P-A-R-K-I-N-S-O-N-S, recovery, R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y dot C-O-M. The cost of the videos are certainly very reasonable, but with a 25% discount, it's quite a wonderful opportunity to learn more about some, if not all, of the options that were discussed in detail at the summit. You can also call our toll-free number. I'd be delighted to provide additional information about all of those presentations if you'd like to learn more. That toll-free number is 877-526-4646. I have been planning this particular radio show that I am airing today now for the past year and a half. So I'm excited to finally be able to air an interview with a most remarkable researcher and individual. This man, Dr. Daniel Corcus, has been doing research on exercise and movement as it relates to Parkinson's now for decades. If there is an international expert on Parkinson's as it relates to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's, it is Dr. Corcus. So what I'm going to now do is begin the first segment of this pre-recorded interview with Dr. Corcus and hang on to your seats. You're going to get some answers to questions that you've been wondering about now for many, many years. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and I have an incredibly special guest today, Dr. Daniel Corcos. Dr. Corcos is a professor of kinesiology and nutrition neurology, psychology, and bioengineering. Uh, bio <laughs> These are such fancy words, I can't even say them. He's also the chair of the graduate program in neuroscience at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Dr. Corcos, thank you so much for being with us as a guest on the show today. Thank you very much for your very kind invitation. Tell us all about yourself. Well, I got my Ph.D. at the University of Oregon, and I studied motor control, which is essentially the study of movement. And then from there, I went to Rush Medical Center in Chicago, where I spent four years doing a postdoctoral fellowship. I was in a department of neurosurgery, and at that point in my career, I spent time looking at neurosurgical interventions for spinal cord injury, and also for children with cerebral palsy. Uh, In 1987, I then moved to the University of Illinois at Chicago, where I've been ever since. In 1994, I was very fortunate and had the chance to go to London for a year, and I was at the Institute of Neurology. I went there specifically to study Parkinson's disease. Uh, arguably one of the famous, most famous uh, people in the area of Parkinson's disease was the late Professor C.D. Marsden, and he was there, and also a very famous physiologist, Dr. John Rothwell. And it was during that year that I read a lot about Parkinson's disease, and I conducted experiments on people who had Parkinson's disease. And one of the things we did was we wanted to know whether people with Parkinson's disease Um, have muscle weakness. Now, clinically, 
it's not normally thought that people with Parkinson's disease have weakness, and so conventional wisdom was that they don't. But uh, people with Parkinson's disease sometimes complain about being a little weak and fatiguing easily. And so we ran a set of experiments, and the upshot of those experiments were when you test a person on and off their medication, normally levodopa, the individuals are noticeably weaker when they are off medication. And since medication is very short-acting, this tends to argue that the weakness is related to the neural deficit in Parkinson's disease. Uh, I then came back from England in 95, and I then spent the last close to 20 years studying different interventions for Parkinson's disease. Uh, I've worked extensively on deep brain stimulation, which is currently um, efficacious for people with Parkinson's disease. I've worked on uh, exercise interventions using progressive resistance. And recently, I've just uh, started an exciting new program where we're asking the question, what is the best dose of aerobic exercise for Parkinson's disease? And the question here is, if you're on a treadmill, should you be working out very hard to get the best symptomatic effect? Or should you be working out a little bit less hard? Then when I'm not conducting research on Parkinson's disease, I'm a professor and get great joy out of teaching students uh, a course called Movement Neuroscience. I also teach a course in grant writing. So that pretty much keeps me busy most of the time. What was it some years ago that steered you in the direction of focusing much of your research on Parkinson's? Well, before going to the Institute of Neurology, I used to study muscle activation patterns. You can put electrodes on the surface of a muscle, and then you can see how the muscle is activated. And one of the things I became very interested in was the question, how does one control speed? Sometimes if you can think of a violin player, sometimes you're playing quickly, sometimes you're playing slowly. Another word for that might be tempo. And we came up with some rules for how muscles are activated. And then I started to read that individuals with Parkinson's disease are bradykinetic. That simply means move slowly. So you could then ask the question, well, how are their muscles activated differently to healthy individuals, which causes them to move slowly? And so I wrote a grant, and the grant took me to London, and I've been studying Parkinson's disease ever since. That's fascinating. People who are listening to the show have heard in previous shows from guests that exercise does make a difference. What type of exercise should persons who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's do? Well, that's a very good question. The simple answer is that all forms of exercise, I think, are really good. And, you know, one of the most important things is that not everybody likes to exercise. And if you like to swim, one should swim. If you like to dance, dance is, dance is great. If you like yoga, yoga is great. So my first simple answer is that any form of exercise, which can just include going out for a walk with a partner, is tremendous for you. Then one can go to the next level of asking 
well, what might be the best exercise or what might be the best combination of exercises. And CDC guidelines are fairly clear on what is good for one. And one thing which is very good for everybody, including people with Parkinson's disease, is progressive resistance exercise or working out with weights. Uh, as one gets older, one does have a tendency to become a little bit weaker, and strengthening can act as a way to minimize the weakness that one may get as one ages. Strengthening is extremely good for bone, bone density. Many people suffer from osteoporosis, and so progressive resistance exercise can help with osteoporosis as well. And then, um, but progressive resistance exercise, although it is probably beneficial for the heart, is not as good as doing aerobic or endurance exercise. So whether one is swimming or on an elliptical or on a treadmill or jogging, any form of exercise which basically gets one to breathe a little bit harder, to get one's heart rate up, is very good. And it has a different effect to the progressive resistance. Then the third line of exercise that one should also do in parallel with strength training and endurance exercise is balance exercise. So early on in the disease, uh, balance is normally not too impaired. But as the disease progresses, one of the uh, defining features of the disease is the balance becomes harder. And then this can lead to falls and various other problems. So at some level, whether it is Tai Chi, whether it is yoga, whether it's just balancing exercises, I think there is no question that adding balance training to the other two modalities is tremendous. And one can also get this from something like dance. There have been many, many publications recently showing the benefits of dance. So in a nutshell, strength, endurance, and balance. When you mention progressive resistance, this would mean, for example, in my little exercise room at my house, I've got a weight of 2 pounds, 5 pounds, 10 pounds, and 20 what resi progressive resistance would mean is that I would start with my lightest weight, uh, let's say the two pounds, and I would exercise with that perhaps five or ten iterations, and then I would increase it to the five and the ten and the twenty with the subsequent number of iterations. Is that what you mean by progressive resistance? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. So muscle responds to overload. Uh, this has been known since the end of the Second World War when a lot of the principles of strength training were developed because there were so many people who had devastating injuries from war. And so the idea here is that, just as you said, uh, you will start off by doing maybe 10 repetitions with a weight that you can perhaps uh, move 10 times. And then as you find that very easy to do, you then add the weight, and you then keep adding the weight so your muscle is always being worked just a little bit harder um, because if you continue to use just the two-pound weight all the time, there is no overload and therefore the muscle gets no stronger. 
I'm Robert Rogers, your host of the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show. My guest today is Dr. Daniel Corcus. I love Dr. Corcus's research and approach because it puts the individual in control of their health rather than imposing some kind of expectations that something else or someone else is going to be able to help health return. It's a remarkable research program, and as we get into this interview, I want everyone to be on the lookout for an announcement of his new study, which you may have the opportunity to join. Second, I want to invite everyone to be sure and catch all of the many options that were presented at the Parkinson's Recovery Summit, which, just like Dr. Corcus's work, put the person in control of their own recovery. You can see and preview all of those many different options that were discussed in presentations at the Santa Fe Summit in February of 2013 this year by visiting the following website, www.summit.com. S-U-M-M-I-T dot Parkinson's Recovery dot C-O-M. Dr. Corcos, many people wonder about the regularity of exercise, whether they should exercise once every day, twice every day, five times every week. What would be your answer to that? How often should a person who's currently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease exercise? Well, this is a very, very good question, and um, we don't fully know the answer, uh, but my my best advice to people, if they can manage it, I understand people have jobs, they have families, and no two people are the same. But if one can set it up to follow best current practice, um, I would do weight training, progressive resistance exercise, probably twice a week. And I would have a good session. It would probably last an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And that, I think, is important. Then I would work out probably two to three times a week, uh, four times a week if one really had the time and energy doing an aerobic exercise program. So I would either be on a stationary bike if one had balance problems, or I would be on a treadmill, or I would be on an, an elliptical if one has trouble with one's joints or if one's balance and joints are really causing one problems, I would then be in a swimming pool for uh, three, four times a week for probably about 30 minutes, and I would try to get my heart rate up. And then on those days, uh, probably the same time as I did the weight training, and possibly on one of the days that I did the aerobic exercise, I would certainly do some stretching and balance exercises. I certainly wouldn't overdo it because this is certainly a lot. I certainly think it's good to have at least one day a week of rest. And certainly if this is intimidating to many people, uh, just working out two or three times a week is noticeably better than doing uh, nothing at all and being completely sedentary. But in a nutshell, weights twice a week, aerobics two, three, four times a week, and also do some balance. I certainly wouldn't be working out more than that. Um, and I think that would be a good balance. And I think the other thing that's really important is that one should not think that a six-week program or an eight-week program is going to work. The idea here is that one embeds 
exercise as just part of a healthy lifestyle. One just does it and does it. And so to embed that into the lifestyle, is there a period somebody has to stick with it in order to make that happen? Do they have to stick with it four weeks, six weeks, two months? Or do you just have to commit to it and go go with it? I think one just has to pers- one has to persuade oneself that this is good for one. There have been articles published recently where one of the nice things about exercise is that it gives a person with Parkinson's disease some opportunity to take a little bit of control over their body and their life. It is very different than having an electrode put in one's brain or taking pills. And the evidence is so strong that exercise is good that one just has to tell oneself that this is good for me and I'm going to try to do it. Uh, I fully understand it's hard because not everybody likes to exercise. Not everybody can find time. Not everybody can find a gym. But as we've just heard earlier, Robert has a set of weights um, in his house. One can now get treadmills for reasonable price. And so um, one can either work at home, which has advantages. Some people like the socializing of going out to a club and meeting friends. But I think think the key thing is to realize that Parkinson's disease is a progressive neurological disease. That means the disease progresses over time. And anything a person can do to... um, possibly slow down that progression or at least to help with that progression or modify the symptoms along the way will be beneficial for them. Are there any age restrictions to the recommendations that you got for exercise? No, there are no age restrictions. But I think um, for everybody, um, don't just start off without going and seeing your doctor first to make sure that there are no problems. Certainly, if one's over the age of 67, you should certainly talk to your doctor before doing anything too vigorous on the aerobic exercise front. Um, My own view is that one should exercise um, pretty much until one can't exercise anymore. I think a very good principle is to listen to one's body. Some people can exercise too hard. I'm Robert Rogers, this is Parkinson's Recovery, and I am your host of the Parkinson's Recovery radio show. For those of you who just tuned in, I want to make sure that you know we have a Memorial Day special on the DVDs that were made of all of the presentations at the Parkinson's Recovery Summit in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I want to make sure that you have that coupon code to claim your 25% discount on any of the DVDs that you've been wanting to acquire. That coupon code is the following, 2013 options. So that's 2013 O-P-T-I-O-N-S. So when you get on the shopping cart for whatever DVDs you'd like to acquire, enter that coupon code, 2013 options, and you will see an immediate discount of 25% on whatever you decide you'd like to be able to order. In addition, I want to suggest to you a consideration of going in perhaps with other individuals in your support group. 
when you claim your 25% discount, the regular cost of all 19 videos is $295, which is not that much per video. But with the 25% discount, it's only $240 plus shipping. Now, that means that each of these DVDs, of the 19 DVDs, is only $12.70. I'd like to suggest that if you have a support group that's looking for interesting activities every month, you can, as a support group, actually purchase this whole set of 19 DVDs, and each of your sessions, you can actually watch one of these DVDs that is a presentation of what was done at the summit. You'll get a huge range of options that are helping individuals reverse their symptoms. So consider the possibility of going in together and making watching these DVDs a part of what you and your support group actually wind up doing each and every month. It will wind up being a full year and a half activities each and every month offering you some exciting new ways that individuals have succeeded in reversing whatever symptoms they might have been experienced that are associated with the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And now back to my interview with Dr. Daniel Korkos. Dr. Korkos, there are some people who are pretty seriously impaired who are listening to this discussion. What would you want to say to them with regard to your recommendations about exercise? Well, what I would want to say to them is even a little bit of exercise is going to help them. It's going to help a little bit with the tremor, a little bit with the rigidity. And if they find a good physical therapist or an exercise physiologist or somebody or a nurse, um, in different countries, there are different areas of expertise, certainly in England, they have nurse practitioners who specialize in Parkinson's disease. You have to find somebody who really understands interventions, and they can help you do very simple activities. For example, um, in most modern physical therapy clinics, there are what are called therabands. These are bands of different colors, and they're kind of like a big elastic band, and they provide just a little bit of resistance. So even if you're just in a wheelchair and you're watching TV or something like that, you can just have a band and do a little bit of muscle exercise, and that will be good for one. And so it's really a question of finding an activity that works for your own age, level of disability, and desire to work hard. Some people who are listening to this particular show really do not enjoy exercise and have never enjoyed exercising. What about them? Well, this is really hard. This is really hard. There is no question that walking is very, very good. And if one doesn't enjoy walking, um, another activity, which I mentioned earlier, which is becoming very popular in Parkinson's disease, which you can find all about on the internet and many published articles, is dance. People have adapted things like the tango and the waltz. And this is all about coordination, timing. And uh, the real question is to try to find an activity that one does like. Uh, and so, I mean, I fully appreciate that some people don't like to exercise, but movement and activity, it's just a question of being um, 
thoughtful about it. Um, and also a lot depends in which country one is in. The Dutch bike all the time, and there are marvelous videos of people with Parkinson's disease who are moving not particularly well. As soon as they get on their bike, they're off and moving, and then their heart rate is up. So the real challenge here is to find something. Now, if there's nothing that works for you, absolutely nothing, then you have to tell yourself, it's just good for me. And if that doesn't work, um, I'm pretty much out of ideas. When we first started corresponding, it's been now about a year ago, you were working with the review process and getting a paper published, I believe it had to do with weight resistance. Tell us all about that research. Well, we've been, uh, we're very pleased to say the article has just been published. The title of the article is a two-year randomized controlled trial of progressive resistance exercise for Parkinson's disease. If you uh, use what is called PubMed, you can find the article um, and you can uh, read it. It's not a very difficult article to read. There's also a very nice editorial that has been written about it. And this is the first study which has taken people out over a two-year time period. And so at the end of two years, we still had 38 out of 51 people with Parkinson's disease doing the progressive resistance exercise. We had 11 different exercises, and at the end of two years, when we studied people in the off-medication medica off situation, their unified Parkinson's disease rating scale score was seven points better. This is after two years, I want to stress. So the idea here is that the symptoms of Parkinson's disease were improved at the end of a two-year time period. And we're very pleased with these results. We think they are very, very strong evidence that progressive resistance exercise is therapeutically beneficial for people with Parkinson's disease. Those are truly compelling and exciting results. I want to emphasize to the listening audience, there are, of course, many, many studies of medications that evaluate the effect of medications, and what Dr. Korkos is just reporting is a result that, in comparison to many other studies, is quite remarkable indeed. I believe that one of the images that's rotating on the show page is actually a graph that shows the results of this study. Is not that correct, Dr. Korkus? Yes, it is. It is the data taken. Uh, you will, if you go to the article, you will see that it is actually figure two, part A, but that's exactly what it is. And then in the article itself, it has several other graphs as well showing other changes in terms of the fact that people got noticeably stronger, and they also moved noticeably more quickly. Well, that's a large population to work with, and the surprise to me is that only 11 or so persons were not continuing in the study over the course of the two years. That's a pretty good result. So people were encouraged to hang in there and continue exercising. Well, they did, and many of the people who uh, uh, dropped out um, dropped out for reasons unrelated to the study. So four of the individuals had deep brain stimulation surgery, and so we, we did not want their 
those results to confound these results because the brain stimulation surgery would have made the person uh, better because that modifies the symptoms. And then we had three who had unrelated medical complications. So really, we had very few, if any, people who withdrew from the study just because they didn't like the exercise. The feedback that we've had from the people when we talked to them is that they felt it was beneficial for them. Now, we fully realize um, there's what is called a placebo effect. So anytime you think that something's doing you good, it might do you good. But that's why we did a randomized controlled trial in which we compared two groups. And here the idea is that the placebo effect will affect both groups because both groups were treated almost identically except for the fact that one group had progressive resistance exercise and the other group also had um, an exercise program. It's called Fitness Counts, which is from the Parkinson's Disease Foundation. It can be found online. And it's a booklet which outlines a lot of very helpful exercises for people with Parkinson's disease. And so if one is not able to do the progressive resistance exercise for any reason, the Fitness Counts booklet is well worth looking at because it also provides a series of exercises which are very good for one. In fact, if you look at the graph, at the end of six months, there's really no difference between the two groups. And that really goes to show the importance of exercise in general, where the, specific, where the progressive resistance exercise really comes into play is that over time, because the individuals are working harder and lifting more weights, they are maintaining that improvement in the UPDRS score. Whether the group which did fitness counts gradually, as you'll see in the plot, comes back to where it was. But it's important to realize that even if one is at the same point at 24 months as one was at the beginning of the study, if one had done nothing, one would have got noticeably worse. So because it's a progressive resistance, sorry, because it's a progressive neurological disease, the Unified Parkinson Disease Rating Scale, which measures tremor, bradykinesia, rigidity, postural reflexes, it gets worse by two to three points per year on average. So if one can just maintain one's level of Parkinsonism, one is coming out ahead. So when you look at two years and an average of two to three points deterioration in the UPDS, uh, then basically when you compare that as a control group, which was not the case in your study, with the group that got the progressive resistance and the other exercise regimen, you've got a pretty dramatic result. That is, there's a seven-point improvement, and then in contrast to a control group that might have deteriorated as much as five or six points, and that's a huge result. Uh, we would think so. We, we would think so. Um, the, the decrement of five to six points is just taken from the literature. But I think, you know, in the end, the uh, litmus test is whether people are willing to go out and do this. And so, you know, my challenge to all of your listeners is, is to go out and try it. Uh, my guess is it will do you good, and it certainly won't do you harm. We'll be right back with Dr. Korkos after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers, your host of the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show. I want to emphasize for all 
listeners what a remarkable result in his recent study Dr. Korkos has actually seen. He reports a seven-point improvement in the score, which means it actually gets less. In contrast, if you look at a control group that doesn't receive any treatments whatsoever, they tend to decline on average, as he was suggesting, about two and a half points per year. So to calculate up in a very simple sense, we're talking about a study that lasted two years, which meant that over time, a person that did not receive any exercise would see a deterioration of about five points. When you add that, deterioration to the improvement of seven points, we're talking about 12 points here. I know many of you are not familiar with this scoring system or perhaps have never heard of the Unified Disease Parkinson's Rating Scale, but the reality is that the average on those scales for a population could very well be 18 or 20 points. If you're subtracting 12 points from 18 points, you've got a huge improvement in how people are going to be feeling. Let me suggest then that you take his suggestions very seriously and that this result is indeed a compelling result. What I'm now going to do is to air the final segment of my interview with Dr. Korkos. What he's going to do is going to give us some exciting news about the next study that he's doing. There are three locations to this particular study. He's located in Chicago, so one of those sites is Chicago. The second is Pittsburgh, and the third is Denver. If you live in any one of these locations, you're going to have an opportunity to contact him and actually participate in a study of exercise that it sounds like will surely benefit you and, more importantly, benefit the entire Parkinson's community. He's looking for 100 research volunteers. And further, let me suggest, if you don't live in any one of those three locations, there's a good chance that you may know someone who does. Please help spread the word so that he can get a full group of sample subjects and get this study underway as soon as possible. So hang on to your seats. He's going to now, in the next few minutes, describe what I believe to be an exciting research design and an exciting study that evaluates how exercise can impact the lives of individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. I know the listening audience is going to now be curious, given the incredible results that you obtained in your most recent publication, about your upcoming research and your planned research. What's up at the University of Illinois at Chicago with you and your work? Well, the two questions which really are going to drive my research probably for the rest of my career are to try to find the best dose of aerobic exercise to modify the symptoms of the disease. And once we've done that, once we know the best dose, then we're very interested in in asking the question whether exercise can actually have a protective effect. And, And the two questions are very different. So the symptoms simply means you exercise and you may get a little bit less tremor or be a little bit less rigid or you may move a little bit quicker. The neuroprotection question really is designed to answer the question, is my disease slowing 
down? Am I slowing down the rate at which my disease progresses? So currently, um, we have a study in Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Denver, and we are actively recruiting people who've been newly diagnosed with Parkinson's disease who have not yet taken medication. It's very important to stress, must not have been taking medication for Parkinson's disease yet. And then we randomly assigned people to three groups. In one group, the individuals just have best medical management for six months. The second group exercises four times a week at 65% of their maximum heart rate. And the third group exercises four times a week at 80% of their maximum heart rate. And the question we want to know is whether there's a beneficial effect of exercising at the higher rate. There's a lot of work that has been done, um, animal research over the years, showing that high intensity exercise is very good for neurodegenerative disease. And so we want to know if there's a symptomatic effect of exercising at the higher heart rate. And then once we've answered that question, we can then use the dose we identify here to see whether there is a neuroprotective effect. So we're actively recruiting in Chicago, we're actively recruiting in Pittsburgh, and we're actively recruiting in Denver, Colorado. It's a three-site phase two clinical trial sponsored by the uh, National Institute of Health. How long would people who participate in this study have to do this particular exercise regimen? Well, it is, we, uh, it is for one year. So the, we collect data over the first six months, and then we follow up over the next six months uh, to see whether people adhere to the protocol. So it's a year commitment, and you exercise four times a week, and you have a heart rate monitor. So one of the things we're doing here is we're very tightly controlling the heart rate of people so that we will know if people are working at 65% of their heart rate or if they're working at 80% of their heart rate. And then the hypothesis is that there's a symptomatic benefit of working at the higher heart rate. We've um, enrolled uh, probably close to 30 people by now. Uh, we have a long way to go. We need to enroll 126. And if anybody's interested, this would be tremendous. Can people do this exercise at home for the most part, or do they have to go to a clinic or a university setting uh, to be observed and uh, supervised? The plan is that they start off in a university setting for the first several weeks to make sure that they're safe on the treadmill, that they can monitor their heart rate. And then they go and work out in a health club close to their home. We try not to encourage people to do this at home because it's really good to have a health professional close by. So the model we have is you start off at the university and you're taught how to do this and then you go to a local health club and you exercise four times a week on a treadmill and hopefully this will be beneficial for your Parkinson's disease. Anyone then who lives anywhere near or around these three locations might volunteer to participate and those locations again as I understand it are Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Denver, is that correct? 
That's absolutely correct. We would be so grateful. Um, recruitment is a really important thing in advancing our knowledge for treatments for Parkinson's disease. The only way we will really understand how treatments work for people with Parkinson's disease is to study people with Parkinson's disease. And NINDS, which is a branch of the NIH, is putting a lot of time and resources in trying to facilitate recruitment because it is the single hardest aspect of doing clinical research. So if anybody can volunteer to help, we would be deeply grateful. And again, these are individuals who have not yet started any medication regimen, so they need to be medication-free of any Parkinson's medications. How do they get in touch with you, or how do they enroll in this particular program? Well, they could just send me an email. Um, I can give you my email now. I, uh, it is D, as in Daniel, Corcus, C-O-R-C-O-S, at U-I-C dot Edu. You can also Google my name on the internet. It probably comes up. But I'm dcaucus at uic.edu. And for persons who don't have computers and would need to call, is there a phone number they could call to sign up? They, they should call me at 312-355-1708. Although you're located in Chicago, then, for persons in Pittsburgh and Denver, they would also contact you in order to be able to enroll in the study. Yes, and I'll pass on the information to my colleagues. It's just easier, I think, to have one email and one phone number. But I will contact my colleagues, and they will be equally grateful. And let me also emphasize that in many uh, research trials, uh, it is totally unknown whether the participation is going to provide any benefit. We know that exercise helps improve symptoms and, and reverse symptoms in many cases. So in this case, it sounds like if a person decides to participate in this study, not only do they benefit the larger Parkinson's community at large, not only do they benefit the scientific research, but they benefit themselves. Well, I think this is true, yes. I think there is no question that doing this over a time period will benefit the person. So you're absolutely correct. It works at all three levels. Well, Dr. Corcos, on behalf of the entire Parkinson's community, I want to express my deep appreciation to you for your longstanding commitment to investigate these important questions. And they all are exciting because, of course, they allow a person to begin to take control of their bodies and their health instead of simply taking some medications where they're basically being controlled by some external force. So on behalf of everyone, I want to just say thank you from the depth of all of our hearts. And I would also like to thank you for the opportunity to talk and for all the people who help us in our research. Thank you very much indeed. I'm Robert Rogers, and this is the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I want to give all of you those contact, email, and phone numbers once again to make sure that you have them recorded. If you live in either Pittsburgh or Chicago or Denver and have not actually started any kind of medication regimen, I really strongly encourage you to participate in the study. It sounds like an outstanding opportunity. Once again, those of you who know individuals in these communities, please email them, call them, let them know about this study. 
Dr. Corcus's email, once again, I'll say it and then I will read out the letters, is dcorcus at uic.edu. And that is, once again, d-c-o-r-c-o-s at u-i-c dot e-d-u. And the phone number to reach him at to enroll or ask questions about the study is 312-355-1708. Again, this is Parkinson's Recovery. Thank you for joining us on this program where we've learned the updated information about what types of exercise make a difference and how much everyone ought to do who currently experiences the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today, that you indeed are on the road to recovery. Good day.